Welcome to Revive Emergency Podcast. This is the My Story Recovery Series. As many of you know, this series has been the original series, but haven't been really named until recently because uh, Re- Revive Emergency Podcast started a new series called Robert's Corner. However, to give you context, My Story Series dives into the stories of peers struggling with mental illnesses, substance abuse, sexual abuse, just to name a few. The focus is on recovery and the journey through it featuring different perspectives, not only the peers themselves suffering, but also their family members, friends, and people who work with these individuals. Today, we have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Claudia, and she's a member of the same chapter I am in NAMI, and she's, I was just so excited that she agreed to be a part of us, uh, to tell her story of, um, of her journey through recovery with her son and Welcome, Claudia, and thank you for agreeing thank to the guest today. Thank you for having me, Robert. No problem. I always like to start each episode with a quote. This quote has been really, really speaks volumes to me, especially nowadays and what we're facing today. And it says, it's from Rachel Naomi Remen, and it says, the most basic and powerful way to connect to another person is to listen. Just listen. Perhaps the most important thing that thing we ever give each other is our attention. A loving silence often has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intentioned words. Being a peer and struggling for over a decade with acute symptoms, I know that I have a better grip on my recovery for many reasons, but I'm grateful because I know I never can say I've made it. It's always a journey in this whole concept. Claudia, expectations can lead you to a lot of pain. You know, a lot of times when I first realized I was sick, I denied, denied, denied. And for me, that that pushback really didn't provide room for healing. The expectations, the shame, the guilt, and one thing that I love about this quote is that it leaves room. Like a lot of times being right, quote unquote, of a situation doesn't really solve many of the problems. And what I want to ask you, in short, what was the harder thing to adjust as a parent seeing your son being a peer and that is suffering? You know, just, just briefly take us through that. Just how... What was the biggest, what was the hardest adjustment to that whole situation? Well, the hardest thing um, for me, and I think for many parents, is to um, let go of the expectations that you have for your child. Because when they're, you know, when they're young, you think, oh, you know, they have a talent in this area or a talent in that area. And, you know, maybe they'll pursue this career or that career. And then um, as mental illness sets in, um, you really have to let go of those expectations. And it's really very, very difficult. And I think all parents go through a grieving process, Um, you know, um, denial and anger and, you know, why my son or my daughter or my, you know, uh, sister or brother, you know, um, it's it's difficult. It's just very difficult. So um, it's all about adjusting your expectations. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, especially, you know, currently we're recording it's we're 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 facing this whole COVID-19 situation and 
Just looking at the news blotter, six million Americans are in unemployment within what three weeks and or so. And for a lot of people, individuals, they they have their identity as their work, like who they are is their work. So I can imagine that their value, what they see as value, is greatly diminished because they can't push a paycheck. They can't provide. And for me,、uh, one thing I've learned reading a book later on in my recovery was this idea that we are not valued by being not making mistakes. You know, if our value hinges on us not making mistakes, we're going to be miserable. Because we're going to make mistakes, our value does not hinge on us being a hundred percent. Because we're never going to be a hundred percent. And I say this to <laughs> a lot of my my brother has four kids. You know, I know it's a struggle, especially for parents, because you want to protect them, you want the best for them, and the adjustment when there's something you have no control over, and it's just hard. And then that's the that's the that's the pain. I remember. A family that I do Bible studies with, and they're, they're just they're, the physical problems that the child had at first. You know, you have to you have to you have to adjust, like you say, to the this、mm-hmm. norm. And for for us as people, as fragile as we are, as we see the world, we understand that what's the more important is the connections we have. You know, being able to listen, because at the end of the day. Things like this really make us humble because we could say our problem is bad, but ten other things on the news that we see are a lot worse. I mean, and it's not, absolutely. And it's not to say that our problem is not important. What we say, Nami, it says we don't judge our problem as less than our own. But at the same time,、mm-hmm. it also provides room for healing because what I hope this promotes is an idea of gratitude. Gratitude is a wonderful thing when it's done correctly. It's done right. In the sense that、mm-hmm. we're thankful for what we have. We have a house. We have places to eat. We have, we're sustaining, you know, ourselves.、Mm-hmm. And, and、uh, I just say I like this idea. What I say later is, we are not islands, you know. Right. It's a huge concept because the thing is, what we realize right now, I don't like this social distancing phrase because it promotes the idea that we don't connect. We have so many ways of connecting. It's more physical distancing, but. Relationships are are very important for us. You know what I mean? As much as we、right. go through the pain, go through the adjustments, especially a mother and son, son and mother. You know, I know these relationships are are important. They are foundational of how we view the world and how we treat each other. What have you, what ways have you learned in creating a safe place? Because safe place is what we do in our support groups. That's why people talk. You know that's why people share because they feel that they're safe.、Um, and how important do you think this is?、Um, uh, providing that well, place. Yeah, I, I think it's critically important because、um, in my situation,、um, I used to be in the medical field, so it's not unusual for me to talk about things that are, you know, about mental illness, or I don't have any.、Um, Fear of talking about those things, and I've always discussed things like that with my son. So, 
when he was in crisis, I would, you know, um, I would not be afraid to ask him, are you suicidal? Do you feel suicidal? Do you want to go to the hospital? Do you? So he um, became used to the idea that he could discuss these things with me. And that created, I think, a safe place for him, as well as, a, you know, a safe home. Um, and one thing that I did do a little bit too much because of my uh, anxiety over the situation, I used to ask him every day, are you okay? How are you feeling today? Um, are you depressed today? And I think um, it was too much pressure on him, too, um, you know, too intrusive. So what I did was I backed off, I stopped asking, and I just said, look, if you need me, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And um, you come to me and you tell me if you need something. And so, as you said before, I became a better listener as opposed to a better talker. And, yeah. um, and so things have gotten a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. And when there's an issue, he does come to me. Um, and, um, you know, and then we talk through it or, or you know, do whatever's necessary. But I don't harp on him constantly because that I could see that was really getting to him. You know, one thing being up here, I, I totally feel, I understand why that bothered your son. And I'm not saying this because for me, when I was in the thick of it, when I was in and out of hospitals, What's the last thing you want uh, as a son? I don't want to disappoint my mom any more than I have. You know what I mean? Her yeah, asking yeah. me that, how are you doing? And uh, not good. Next right. day, how are you doing? <laughs> not good. And like at the same time, you don't want to lie to them, but you're kind of stuck in this weird zone. You're like, I'm just not good. <laughs> and then yeah, right. it's, it's funny because at the, at the same time, it's important that this idea of safe place, because I've, you know, because with the idea of safe place, even if the person doesn't talk to you for a while, I find that I provide a safe place. They always remember that's a safe place. So they mm-hmm. will come to you at the 11th hour. You know, that's the most, right. where that's the most we would hope for. A safe place right. provides a place that they will be willing enough to get the help that they need. And that's all we ask. Exactly. Willingness is all we ask. So, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, without further delay, Claudia, will you share with the listeners today your journey with your son in recovery, adjusting expectations? Okay. Well, let me just um, back up and uh, give you a little bit of history of my son's um, the progression of his illness, because my case is probably not as typical some others Um, some uh, my son was uh, diagnosed with ADHD when he was very young about six or seven years old so we went through that whole thing with you know the different medications and all of that and then as he got older um, we stopped the medication because it actually wasn't really helping him in school and he wasn't eating and there were lots of side effects so we stopped the medication but what we discovered later on was that he was suffering from depression and anxiety and then um, I'd say probably around the age of 15 or so or 16 I would probably say he had a psychotic break he had a uh, 
He had a psychotic episode where he actually had a visual hallucination and a, um, auditory hallucination. And we found out from that situation that he had been hearing voices previously. Um, and we didn't know about it. And um, so all of this came to light and we found out that he obviously had mental illness earlier on than we initially <clears throat> found out. So, um, so our journey was sort of a very gradual one. It went kind of step by step by step. Um, but a lot of instances, parents have kids who, um, you know, they go along fine all throughout their, you know, teenage years, and then they hit their early 20s or their late teens, and they have a psychotic break all of a sudden, or they just delve deeply into depression or, you know, um, bipolar or whatever other mental illness. And um, it's such a shock. Uh, I wasn't as shocked, but it was, um, there were little, all these little steps um, sort of dashed my expectations each time. So with ADHD, I thought, oh, well, you know, a lot of people go on to have successful lives and careers with ADHD. And then when it, um, the diagnosis started ramping up to anxiety and depression, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, what's going to happen now? Um, I don't know that he'll be able to, um, you know, uh, have a normal life. And then of course the, you know, the voices and the final diagnosis was schizoaffective disorder. So, um, with each of those, um, subsequent diagnosis, diagnoses, we had to, I had to adjust my expectations and it was difficult. It was, it was really difficult as a parent. So I can't even imagine being in the situation where you, you know, you have a child that goes along normally and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, uh, everything hits the fan and all of a sudden you're dealing with a mental illness that you had no idea about. And, um, so, you know, the, um, the most, I think the most important thing that I tell people in our support group is that this is a lifelong illness and, you know, basically you're going to have to adjust to it because when people are um, dealing with their own mental illness, they're not going to be able to adjust to normal, you know, um, yeah. especially if they're not being medicated. Like, you know, my son is very compliant. He takes his medication, um, you know, um, and he still has issues. And, and of course, me being a parent, I want him to be um, independent. And one of the things I did was I took him to uh, vocational rehab and um, I asked them to find him a job. So they did, and he complied with that. He wasn't crazy about the idea, but he complied with that. And he did get a job. And um, over time, he was fine at first, but then over time I noticed the anxiety. Uh, he started having um, stomach pains and, um, you know, um, medical issues, and they were all due to this anxiety of his um, and because of the job. And so ultimately, um, he was calling in sick every other day um, that he was supposed to work. 
And finally, I just said, you know what, just quit because you're going to get fired, number one. And number two, I can see it's really affecting your mental and physical health. And that's not good. So um, he was very pleased with that. And just once the pressure came off, he um, he just, you know, all his, his physical symptoms disappeared and he was just you know happy again and and just relieved you know and um so i realized that putting that kind of pressure on him is just not good i have to go along with what he's able to do not what with what i want him to do and you know yeah and you know it's funny because um some of some people know this but i've I'm I'm a I was a leader at St. Austin Church. You know, I used to do all this stuff. And one of the things being a leader is interesting is that you could tell someone something that could help them. <laughs> and um, yeah. the thing is, it doesn't stick. And it, it goes by this idea <laughs> of shifting from should and have to do something to want to. It's a beautiful exactly. thing. And it's a beautiful thing when you get there in recovery, but honestly, it doesn't, it's a journey. Like you said, it's a lifelong thing. Like people look at me mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, you're doing so well. You don't know the nights that have panic attacks still, the nights that have all these uh-huh. symptoms still. No one sees that. But what I do is lean on the things that have helped me. You know what I mean? Everyone's situation is different. You know, I refuse to say, this is what you need to do and this is what's going to work because we know that mental health is one of those things that you know it affects people differently people react to medicine differently some are easier to get the right medicine some are harder to stay or even the medicine to stay to continue to work i know of this Mm -hmm. because i've seen it right Uh, Mm -hmm. one thing that uh, as a peer i find that was really helpful is the thought you know for me my only advantage I think is that I read a lot you know for me mm-hmm. so I read I remember reading Victor Franco right? and um, that guy from Auschwitz and it's very interesting one of the things he says is that when you know the why in life the how gets easier and this is a mm-hmm. guy who was literally in a concentration camp right? Right. I thought that concept very interesting because for me in Revive Ministries, I never proselytize. I refuse to. My whole thing is that we're inspiring hope, you know, because I don't understand <laughs> half the time being a leader in the church that half the time people believe or not believe or shy away from religion is because of the people who represented it to them. You know, really people love uh-huh. hope. People love to be around people who are hopeful. And mm-hmm. part of that is really finding value. You know, it took me years. I would say even the last three years to really start to piece back my value one thing that gets damaged quickly when you have mental illness is the value you have for yourself at least for me i can speak for myself and um in um in a lot of my groups i do ask this question when there's like emotion that's a strong emotion like anger or sadness i ask this question to myself too especially when i get Mm -hmm. triggered is what do you think you've lost or what did you not get that you expected or desired to have? You could peel that as much as you, as much as you feel comfortable doing. But honestly, it's kind of revealing what you find, you know. Because the thing is, there's a lot of things that we 
expectations per se that we have in our minds and we set yeah. in our minds but because that's what we think we we've redeemed that would help that individual i remember for me um a lot of times in this culture in in just in this whole world it's this shying away from the pain you know what i mean i'm not saying <laughs> run to the pain no but we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes you know what i mean there's, right there's people right. today like for me it took me a while to get to that point because it's just this growing recovery of the idea of finding value and all that so i do like what you're what you're saying because it really paints a real picture of it all because there's so many complex moving parts when it comes to your son my brother who 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 has ptsd it's not simply just that illness it's that individual right. too and how they respond to it and it's so many factors so sorry to interrupt but continue yeah. um with your story okay well um so ultimately um i backed off and um from pressuring him and uh he's been uh, very um healthy i would say i mean you know like i said he takes his medication it doesn't get rid of the voices completely and that's another thing that parents have to understand that the medication is not it's not um you know it helps but it's not a cure and um so the other thing that um he does is he goes to a therapist uh he does not go to nami meetings and i wish that he would but he has this social anxiety so he's his his fear of groups is um is an yeah. issue and so um you know i i wish that he would go i wish that he could you know get you know helpful ideas from all of you guys in there and girls um but the thing that um you, you mentioned something what do i think i've lost what do i feel like i've lost and the thing that i feel that i've lost is a uh, a a healthy independent son and the reason i say that is because i know that this extends to other members of our family meeting we are concerned that as we get older um yeah. the parents and what's going to happen to our kids yeah. because if they're not independent how are they going to survive in this world and that is the biggest thing that hangs over our heads and it's um it's um, it's it's a weight that i i can't tell you it just weighs down on all of us so much yeah. um now some people are are in a situation some families where they have other siblings where you know other siblings might be able to uh look after you know um the the family member with mental illness but that's not always the case and so um it's it's really a um a scary thing for parents I know um but, you know, sorry one of my guests um she was a social worker in New York City. I think this story okay. is pretty pretty revealing. She worked okay. with she works in New York City, she works in Rikers Island, she works with homeless people, right? Right. One home, yeah. One homeless person said to her, "What's the hardest thing being homeless?" And she, you know, getting her social working mind, she started listing services right. that she think improved his life. Right. And he's like he's like no 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 no. Loneliness. That was it. Yeah. Loneliness. Right. So like it's funny the interesting in the time we live in right now with what's going on because everyone's forced to slow down. 
You know what I mean? Right. And kind mm-hmm. of reflect on what's really important. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but fortunately, I got to see people at their dying moments. You know what I mean? Being mm-hmm. a leader of my yeah. team. And one thing I do not hear is the stuff they own, the titles they have, or any of that stuff they miss. Mm-hmm. Even places they've been, they would say it, but it's always with the people they cared about. Mm-hmm. One thing that people liked was, like, I watched on YouTube, I don't know if you saw this recently, an elderly man went to a window of his Alzheimer's wife. He couldn't, it was quarantine, he couldn't go in there and visit, but he sang a song they sing every morning together. Like, these kind uh-huh. of things are really beautiful to see. Why am I right. saying this? Right. Why am I saying this? It's because... For us, a lot of times, when even with people I know, even in church, I will think, oh, you got to stop smoking. You need to stop doing this. I could say that, but how much is it going to stick? You know what I mean? Right. For me, me, I really, what what we're beginning to realize in the social distancing situation is that connections do matter, you know? Because in the end, in the end, when a person feels connected, part of something and that's the beauty of it all is that from what i find in my experience they begin to have value and then begin to want from my experience myself and i say this in the disclaimer because everyone's situation is different right but at the very least they'll find value enough right to shift from what they should and have to do to what they want to do whatever that is you know i mean something because at the end of the day um, that's what you best can hope for because at the end of the day, when you, when you lose your job, like the 6 million people, right? <laughs> they right. might not have mental illness, but they usually depend on those checks, right? Their value might be, oh. depression might go up. You know, they're really worried about how things are going to play out after during this whole thing. So the thing is, right. all this going on, I, I say like, in, we put, I encourage my peers who come to the, the virtual meeting to keep coming mm-hmm. because the thing is right. connections should be one of our top priorities it shouldn't be put on a low right. it doesn't matter right now about getting a job or getting things because everything's on hold use this time as That's an right. opportunity to connect because when you connect and you start to build that confidence you can actually see things differently because all of it is perspective someone looks at one thing and you can look at it one way or another way and that's a lot of times what we do in support groups. Same situation. It's the same thing. You know, your expectation right. has changed, but you see the situation differently. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think with this, um, this whole social distancing and this whole pandemic going around, you really have to sit and reevaluate your priorities. And like you said, the connections are so important. And what I'm seeing is that because I'm not as busy with my work, I have more time to spend with my son. And so what we've been doing lately is, you know, he has a very limited uh, diet. So uh, he only likes certain things. And mm-hmm. pizza is one of those things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I, I, uh, I encouraged him to help me make and learn how to make a pizza from scratch. So we made our dough and... And then, and he likes chocolate chip cookies, and and so we made Toll House cookies from scratch, and so That's we've awesome. been doing some, 
yeah, we've been doing some cooking and baking together. And um, today, I think we'll probably make banana bread. Um, and also, too, because of this pandemic, we can only, you know, um, I don't like to go out that much. So I'm trying to use the things that I have in the house and, and get creative with it. And so yeah. he's actually enjoying it. And so there's a thing that I didn't think that he would really, <laughs> oops, sorry. that he would ever, <laughs> sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, so there's a thing that I thought that, you know, I didn't think that he would really enjoy because he has such a limited um, taste palette. Um, but it turns out that the things that he does like, he actually enjoys making and eating, too. He was thrilled with himself. And so I saw this um, spark in him of, uh, like, success, you know, like, yay, yeah. I did something, you know, um, which I don't see often, you know, but... And so if it wasn't for this pandemic, I don't know that I would have had this opportunity with him. Yeah. And so it really was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And it's funny because it, a lot of times when we look at situations like this, like we're limited, but a lot of times it's an opportunity to connect in, in various creative ways. You know, cooking. Yeah, it's funny absolutely. you say cooking. I like cooking because... <laughs> it's fundamentally it reminds me of like what's one, one of my fondest memories is smelling my mom's cooking you know what i mean you know just yeah. just it's the nose the nose really has a great memory <laughs> you know smelling that you know the whole thing of like thanksgiving and all that stuff i know holidays are different and sometimes it's a trigger for some people but just remember reminding of the smells of being brought up and the, the cooking that your parents made you know what i mean yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Close, and yeah, go ahead. One of the other things that um, we've been doing too is watching a lot of television because, um, um, and not the news, you know, because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the news is the news. The news can be pretty depressing. But um, what we've been doing is watching a lot of, um, you know, the um, either Amazon Prime or recently, my son um, asked us to watch uh, a show that he used to really like. It was called Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. and um, so we got Netflix and we've been watching that, and um, it's actually good and it's something that we can talk about with him. We have another connection now with him, um, which we didn't have before, you know? Yeah, it's just the power of stories is huge. Like listening to a story, sharing a story together, you know, that's basically a lot of the entertainment. Now it's a lot more technical with movies and all that stuff, but storytelling, is one of the mm -hmm. fundamental, most effective way to communicate. You know, when it, when you're sharing an idea, because if you're just listing a whole bunch of facts, why does that matter to me? You know, um, part of the reason is funny. I read a story and probably prompted me starting this podcast the way I did was because cancer back in the 1950s, no one cared about really, and the reason uh -huh. was because they had they had suit and tie people there listing a whole bunch of facts but there yeah. was no face there was mm -hmm. no one who they could relate to there was like this many people died whatever right no right. one cared until <laughs> i think one of the big points was when a mother told her journey with her son when she he had cancer when he was very young three years of him fighting cancer and dying she wrote she right. had a storytelling on all that thing and people 
you know, not to be crass, but they pulled out their checks and it blew up. Cancer research <laughs> people caring about cancer really matter because they put a face to it. Because the right. thing is, honestly, if we're really being honest, you know, this whole stigma when we talk about mental health, it's because people don't know, they don't understand because they don't know the stories. You know, they, they don't know the context of individuals. Sometimes they don't have the time, but look at us now, we have plenty of time. You know what I mean? Um, some of us, right. and others. And then the, the other thing is, you know, stories is a great way to connect because it doesn't just tell you information, it also touches the heart done well, you know, because the idea right. is, you're telling something that's vulnerable. You know, that's why I always appreciate every single guest coming in here because it's not easy sharing your story. But at the same time, we also right. know that, you know, we know we have value. We know that someone listening out there may benefit from this. Someone on the fence, right. maybe struggling with their son. What do I do? He's, the expectations are holding on to those expectations right now. You know what I mean? They're frustrated, they're right. putting hands of the son or the daughter is not understanding why they don't get it. They're struggling just to to function. You know what I mean? Right. And, and the exactly. mom's like, the mom's like, mom or dad's like, you know, I saw him do this. I don't understand why they, why is this happening? And then they either, <laughs> they either shift from, maybe it's not such a big deal to, oh my gosh, she can't do anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it's it's yeah. it's crazy because it, it sends a wrong message to from my perspective as a fear because I struggle with that. But at the same time, we're not perfect. Like from the beginning, we're we're not. If we're just assuming yeah. that we're not going to make mistakes, that's a lie. You're telling yourself you're going to make mistakes. But the what? fact is that you're you're connected. We're in this together. Yeah. We're a team. The team mentality and the right. safe mentality is huge because. It puts you down to the individual's level. That's a way you can connect. It's not that you're better or worse. It's that we're in this together. And we're going to go through this journey together uh, and right. we'll make it work. And, you know, and one of the, um, the uh, things that we always say in um, NAMI is that we'll see the individual first, not the illness. And when parents, new parents come into the group and, you know, they're, 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 scared out of their minds. This is, you know, something new to them. They've just been hit upside the head with this mental illness, you know, diagnosis of their child and they don't know what to do. And the first thing they want to do is fix it. Um, <clears throat> but they are all, and we all do this at, at mm -hmm. certain points, like you said, because we're all fallible. Um, we look at the illness and not the person. And they don't, we don't, don't, we don't connect with the person. Uh, because we're so concerned about the, the mental illness and trying to fix the mental illness. And so I agree with you that this whole um, social distancing thing that we were doing now and being sort of quarantined in our houses, it has given me a chance to really, really connect with the individual. Not that I didn't before, but this is really um, more of an opportunity because we're, we, don't have, we don't really have any other choice. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is like what we're not like being being you know, what do you say, you know, trying to fix it like that kind of practical, rational mind that parents get or even if you care about is important. It's not something to be thrown out because when your son is in crisis, when a person you love is in crisis, you have to be in that mode. 
You know what I mean? It's not the time. Yeah. If they're about to yeah. harm themselves, you got to get them to the hospital. It's not about talking right now. It's not about to get them to a safe place to get help. Now, the thing about after that, if you're continuing that model, it's not sustainable. You're going to be stressed out to the bone. The kids, gonna, right. the peers going to be stressed out to the bone. But the crisis is over. Those situations when you're actively trying to fix it or keep them safe, in other words, is glimpses of crisis situations. And you got to be thankful that you got that opportunity. Some people don't. Now, when you do, you get them the help they need. They come back. Now you have to live day-to-day life. It's not sustainable to be at that heightened state every single day. It's just not right. sustainable because you're going to drain yourself. The kids, the, the, the peer is going to feel even more down because he can't produce anything because he's just struggling through his recovery. So this mismatch right. of communication is going to butt head. But ultimately, when you are able to adjust your expectations, understand that you can't be, you have to wear different hats. When he is, mm-hmm. he or she is on crisis, needs to go to the hospital, you gotta be, you can't, you need to be action oriented. When they're just day to day, you gotta spend time, slow down like we're forced to now, and just spend time to them. See what they are, right. connect with them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wanna ask this one question. If there are parents, and like we were leading up to that, if there's a parent right now listening to this podcast episode today who has a similar story as yourself, what would you say to them right now? Well, I was given um, advice from um, my son's uh, pediatric psychiatrist when he was still under 18. And um, I I think it rings true uh, for most situations. And um, for parents, I think this, um, this quote says it all. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So you always want to be prepared, you know, but... um, always have that hope there that things could turn around and get better and um just hang in there you have to hang in there this is just you know it's a lifelong thing it's not going to be fixed you know um in a few weeks and medication isn't always the answer either yeah you know um more than that it's It's a combination of a lot of things (laughs) and each individual is different you know absolutely might like comic books. One person might like anime and they like doing that so much. Let them do it. You know, let them right. do it. let them do it because that's that's an outlet. It's something, you know, mm-hmm. because at the very least, you know, um, I feel like um, it's very important, you know, this idea of this balance of prepare for the worst, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't stay there. Right. You make it, you, 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 you hope for the best because the thing is... Exactly. If we're making our choice out of the fear all the time, you kind of see that in the news right now. The fear, mm-hmm. you're making all your choices out of fear. At the end of the day, you can't protect, you can't protect everyone. You can't even protect, the, the idea of uh, this uncertainty makes us realize how little control we have. <laughs> like at, at, a, at a drop of a dime, everything stopped basically. Everything basically mm-hmm. shut down. And I've never seen this in my life. I know that much. And it's, it's, it's funny. I went to the gas station and it's 189. I'm like, I used to say, <laughs> I wish, I wish the gas went under $2. I'm like, not like this, not like this. But at the same time, you know, I encourage people just like, you know, prepare for the worst. One of the quotes I use 
in my a lot of times in my my in my website is let's make our choices out of hope not fear you know because at the end of the day live you can be as prepared as you want but you'll live a miserable day to day it's good to be prepared and it's good to be practical and action oriented when given the situation but every day is not that situation especially in recovery right is a long right and if you're and if you're prepared you don't um as a parent you don't have that anxiety you know um so you know so you because you know you have a backup plan if something should you know something should happen but the rest of the time you know you just have to uh like i said you can't force your expectations on on the peer you have to um sort of go with the flow really you know and it's it's a you know it changes changes yeah. day by day or week by week or you know um however they're feeling at the time you can't um it, there's no there's no concrete way of um dealing with this illness it has to be fluid it has to continue to 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 change and evolve exactly. and um you know and that's what happens over time and i'm hoping as my son matures i see things in him i see bits of independence and brilliance that come out mm-hmm. at times as he matures i think that's um you know he's only 23 right now mm-hmm. but at, uh as he matures i see you know i see um uh more um i guess it's more uh self confidence yes um you know so but it takes time it doesn't happen overnight and no. um we just have to be really patient as as family members you yeah. know and i feel that is that that provides a room for healing you know we talked about gratitude thankfulness being thankful mm-hmm. now's the time to be thankful because at the end right. of the day you have a roof over your head you have a place to stay and what we see out there is bleak but at the same time thankfulness allows us to appreciate what we have and eventually start the healing process any last thoughts you want to share with you so i know i broke it up a little bit but i know um in a sense adjusting expectations you know a lot of us need to do that even in our own lives whether we have mental illness or not you know so anything you want to well, say to think- Yeah, I I think that um I would say that this is a this is a lifelong commitment and take care of yourself too. Don't yeah. ignore yourself because it doesn't help to have um you know a, a child or a family member with mental illness and then you're going you know, falling into depression too because you can't you know you're you're not taking care of yourself. So it's important um take care of yourself. Yeah, it's funny. I just want to add this one There's this fish head story on my mom's Korean. Fish head story is that the mom actually there was they were poor. This is like a folk story mm-hmm. that she uh-huh. gave the son all the good parts of the fish and she ate the fish head, right? The story is later uh-huh. on <laughs> the son got successful with all this stuff and he remembers that. He's like, "Oh, my mom loves the fish head," right? So we got a yeah. bunch of fish heads for her mom, right? <laughs> and it's hilarious. Right? My mom brings up that story, but <laughs> the thing is, it's funny. It's funny, but a lot of parents do that. A lot of parents do that. But the thing is, ultimately, um, we know when. The thing is, when you start a relationship, obviously with with kids, I can't imagine it's much different. But when I like when I meet my fiance right now, right? Before when I first mm-hmm. met her. 
if she gave me a list of things that I'm going to be doing today, I'm like, hell no. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> but it's funny how things change, you know? How much the yeah. shift from what I have to should do change to what I want <laughs> to. I can't imagine not doing these things. But like, if that was the beginning, no. Uh-huh. But it's amazing how right. we evolve and change as we grow. And it's no different right. with our children and our family as we grow because relationships are at risk, but they're also the biggest joy in our lives. Anyway, right. last question. Revive Ministry Podcast is trying to answer this question as a community of people around the world. Why should we care? Everything we've been saying. Obviously, we've been answering all this time. But if you simply put, why should we care? Um, those listening, those people maybe in your life, maybe close to you that said, ah, it's not a big deal. Uh, yeah, he'll get over it. And you know he can't just get over it. Why should we care? Okay, well, I think we should care because one in five adults experience a mental illness in their lifetime. We should care because we have, we have to squelch the stigma so more people can get help. And why should we care? Because we need as many people as possible to bring this issue to light and get more resources for the mentally ill. Why should we care? Because if we don't, who will? You know, and the funny thing to end through the whole statement, Revive Energy stands on why should we care? Because we can't afford not to. Thank you, Claudia. That's correct. Thank you, Claudia, for being being here and agreeing to be our guest today. now I'd like to give you some time to share with us anything you've been up to lately or any resources you want to share. All these will be in the notes that was helpful in your son's journey and your journey with him in recovery or anything of that nature. Well, I would, um, I would basically refer uh, everybody to NAMI. Um, there was a time that I was on the board of NAMI and we put together a list of uh, resources of books for um, family members to read and just, you know, educate yourself about the mental illness of your family member. Also, um, another fabulous resource, uh, NAMI presents um, usually once a year, um, a course called Family to Family, which really goes through all the mental illnesses and really gives you a, um, an in-depth look at what mental illness is uh, really like. And um, unfortunately, because of this pandemic, uh, our Family to Family course this year, or this uh, spring actually, has been canceled. Um, but NAMI has a tremendous amount of resources. So NAMI.org or NAMI, Volusia Flagler, St. John's.org, um, we have uh, all of our uh, resources available on our website. So um, that's what I would do. I think NAMI is a fantastic uh, source of resource and support for um, the mentally ill and their families. Thank you again, Claudia. Um... Thank you for having me, Robert. Any last thoughts you would like to share for listeners? Little thing you want to say? Just a little short. Um, just yeah, hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there. Take care of yourself. Go with the flow. Um, and um, you know, it does get better over time. It and takes a long time. Be patient. Be patient. <laughs> and also, like uh, as Nabi tradition, the last principles of support we never give up hope you know that's 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 right we never give up hope um 
anyway, I, I just want to share with the listeners that to remember to check out Revive Ministry podcast and new episodes at reviveministriesfl.com forward slash podcast. Every Tuesday will be the original My Story Recovery, like this one. Um, every mm-hmm. Thursday will be a Robert's Corner. will just be me, but it'll be a short segment, about 10 minutes. And on Sunday, we will be uploading a longer segment of Robert's Corner with a special guest. Thank you for all those who are listening. Thank you, Claudia, for being willing to be a guest with us today. And this is going to be goodbye for Revive Mercy Podcast. I love to. I like to leave you with a quote. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, "Our greatest glory is not never falling, but in rising up every time we fall." 